0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Happy Friday! Welcome to our Friday casual behind the scenes. Hooray! Am, I'm Tracy B. Wilson.
0: <laughs> I'm Holly Fry. Excited? It's Friday.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it is it is Friday in in uh, the day that this is episode that this episode is coming out. We're in a little unusual situation in this particular Friday behind the scenes. Um, which is that the the thing that we are gonna talk about in the second half of this week's behind the scene as at this moment is a total mystery. Um, uh, because we haven't recorded it yet or figured out what it's gonna be about. Yeah, we will. Um so in in five minutes or so, uh, you will know more than we know currently about at the moment we're recording this. Holly. Um did you ever take home ec?
0: <laughs> you know I did not.
1: Yeah, I know because you told me, and then we saved this conversation for now. So I'm about to learn along with you all, list- listeners. Okay, so
0: um, I grew up in a very sewing family, mm-hmm. and my mom was an assertive woman. Um, and I had watched my two older sisters. My um, my siblings are older than me by a significant amount. They're all clumped together, and then I'm like the second marriage baby. And so I had watched my older sisters take home ec, which often resulted in my mother marching down to the school to yell at the teachers about the stupid things they were teaching her children, how they wasted fabric, how they didn't know how to bake bread, et cetera. And so when it came time for me in junior high to decide whether or not I wanted to take home ec as an elective, There was a brief but very clear conversation with my father of, please don't put the family through this again. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) I kind of love this story. Well, and I have to say, like, for me, uh, because I started sewing when I was three, so, like... By the time I was, like, five and six, I was, like, begging neighbors for their, like, fashion magazines and trying to make copies of dresses for dolls out of them. Mm-hmm. So, like, by the time I got to the age where I would have taken Home ec- I wasn't really cooking because my mom didn't like other people in her kitchen messing it up. But I was already sewing way past what they were going to teach me. Oh, sure. And they're like, make a pillow that looks like a computer. Like, that was not going to do anyway. So I kind of, like... Even potential skirmishes aside, if I actually looked at the coursework, I was like, this is not interesting to me anyway. Um, yeah. But yes, it was a please save us all the trouble of having to um, talk down your mother and potentially school administrators from a fight.
1: Sure, sure. I also did not take Holmeck because I also grew up in a, in a sewing household. Um, like my mom... Had taught me to sew from the time that I was small. And I also had spent the summers, we grew all of our vegetables. And so I had also spent summers helping can and freeze and otherwise prepare food that we were preserving for the rest of the year. Like that had been just part of my upbringing. And I was in 4 H. And 4 H, I don't know about now, but 4 H, when you're a girl in the 1980s, when you're a girl, is a lot of home economics-focused stuff. Like, I had a whole lot of 4-H stuff that was about sewing and was about cooking. Um, And I took a lot of courses that were uh, part of the whole 4-H experience through the Agricultural Extension Service that we talked about in the episode. (laughs) We would go down to this place um, that had a more formal name, but we called it the Ag Building. And it was the building where, like, all the extension classes and things were taught. And so, like, I had had a lot of both casual home instruction and more formal instruction that was uh, related to what would be taught in, um, in home ec class. Home ec had nothing for you. <laughs> yeah, so I took shop. Shop also had nothing for me um, because the school was so afraid that we were going to hurt ourselves that we weren't allowed to use any of the power tools. Mm. Um, oh, no. Yeah, it was, it was not It's not a good experience. Um, I did want to share something with listeners that I already shared with you, Holly, as I was researching this episode, which is um, the the September 28th I I wrote 2019. That's not correct. Um, It was uh, a 1929 New York Times article titled, Expert Adopts a Baby. (laughs) Um, And the first sentence, I mean, I went on a journey with this article, which is three paragraphs long. The first sentence of it says, Dr. Louise Stanley, chief of the Bureau of Home Economics of the Department of Agriculture, has adopted a baby girl following the example set by her friend and housemate mrs mabel walker Willebrandt, a few years ago so that sentence caught my attention because sometimes in things like news articles and obituaries and stuff like that when someone is described as a friend and housemate sometimes that is code that they were really a couple yeah uh, and so that that i was like sometimes it's not code but sometimes it is and so like that kind of caught my eye um and then it goes the goes on about their house being on 18th Street and Annabelle Matthews also living there with the three women being nicknamed the Brain Trust um, and how when uh, when Mrs. Mabel Walker Willebrandt moved to the house she had just purchased in Georgetown, they wanted to still have a child in the house. Um, and then the next, the last sentence of it was, Nancy comes from the University of Iowa where she'd previously been a practice baby from earliest infancy. And then I was like, hold up, what's a practice baby? I went on just a whole (laughs) voyage with this one thing. Um, And I was like, okay, the fact that this article uses the word practice baby in this context, like it's clear that that's a common enough term that everyone would have known what that meant. Um, So I was like, I'm gonna have to look into this. And I'm currently looking into that we may be about to seamlessly transition into a behind-the-scenes Friday about practice babies. I'll be, su- you'll be surprised or not. I don't know. We'll see.
0: <laughs> I'm scared of the practice baby episode. Yeah. Because it, I don't know, it will reveal what a monster I am even oh, more no. than already. Cause I'm like, please don't give me a practice baby.
1: Yes. My well, hat's
0: people... <laughs> off to parents, but that is not a space I should be
1: in. <laughs> Yeah, just because of the strange way that our time, our show works in regards to time sometimes, people listening to this episode, they will already know what Wednesday's episode was about. So this is not be surprising anymore. But uh you're just you're seeing it unfold as it all happens. <laughs> uh so the first half of this behind the scenes episode was recorded an entire week ago, and we talked about not knowing for sure whether an episode <laughs> about practice babies was gonna, gonna happen. Obviously it did. Uh yeah, Everyone got to go on that journey with us. Something I didn't get into in the episode, but that I found when doing research, uh, is that from time to time, these would become sort of like public interest news stories where the local paper would talk about the new practice baby at the, at the home ec program. They tended a disproportionate amount of the time to happen when the baby was a boy. And some of the ways that they talk about it is gross. Like, there is just a weirdly titillating sly underthread of what a lucky boy with all of these young, attractive college girl mothers. Uh, and I, I did not enjoy reading that. <laughs> which no. Why I did not, which is why I did not have any of it to be read from in the episode.
0: I mean, that still happens yeah all the time like have you ever been at like a big group gathering or like i don't know a shower or something i don't go to many showers cuz i'm kind of a monster but um where there's like a, a predominantly women group and someone has a small child that is a boy and they mm-hmm. do the same language happens about. Oh, he's
1: going to be a ladies' man, and he loves having. Yeah. a... it's like, what are you talking about? He's a kid. He's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I've definitely had friends um, who have talked about the way other people talk to and about their babies, um, and are like, no, he is not flirting with you. He is a baby. He like... <laughs> is a
0: child who is fascinated by strangers.
1: Yeah. Um. Uh, another thing that we did not really get into is that, like, I absolutely understand how how people can find the whole idea of this as just innately horrifying, um, and and have concerns about whether being cared for by so many different people who were students was harmful. Um, but a lot of the research that was being done into uh, into mothering and parenting at the time, like a lot of it, there were there were valid results that still hold up today. But a lot of this is also time when research was being done that was used to suggest that um, basically anybody who was not neurotypical in some way, th- that it was because their mother had done it wrong, right? Um, like this was the same window of time when there was a lot of discussion that like. Autism was caused by bad mothering, and there's just so much to unpack with that kind of sentiment. Um, like it's, it's ableist for one thing. It's ableist and it's sexist at the same time. But that kind of mindset was informing all of this concern. Right. And so, yeah, the, the things that I was the most horrified in all of this was uh, the part where <laughs> the part where children were in deprived circumstances where they had anemia and rickets and were not being cared for. That, to me, was a lot more horrifying than the idea um, of being cared for by 16 women in sequence over a period of weeks.
0: Right, with, like, supervision involved. Yeah, yeah. So there is some continuity to it, which we didn't really talk about a whole lot, right? Like, they're they're non-continuous people, but presumably if there is one proctor supervisor whatever involved in the process there is a degree of consistency
1: yeah yeah and and i we didn't really get into this this part of it either but in some of the things that i read that were like manuals about starting practice baby programs or uh or discussions of how the programs worked like the person who was considered to be ultimately responsible for the care and well-being and safety of the baby was not a student it was the faculty advisor that was part of this whole process right um and then uh, it also made me think about um all of the ways that people learn by practicing on actual living human beings uh, like i i used to do when i lived in atlanta my primary care doctor was at a teaching facility that was part of emory's um residency program mm-hmm. for uh, for primary care doctors. So, I had so many different normal, but also uncomfortable and invasive uh, exams. Like, <laughs> I had a number of PAP exams by people who were students. In one case, by a student who I'm not sure had ever held a speculum. Um, and, like, that's it's sort of part of how learning works. Uh, and I guess the difference between that and and practice babies was like I consented to being right. um, examined by students, and and babies are babies and cannot give consent. Right. You and had agency who, in
0: that whole yeah process.
1: So anyway, like I, I I absolutely understand how how uh how many feelings this brings up with people. Oh yeah, but the the things I was angriest about were the the things that were about um, babies being forcibly. Uh, separated from their parents because their parents weren't married and, right. uh, and and institutions where they were not getting sufficient care and love.
0: Yeah, it puts me in mind a little bit, and again, I am not a parent nor an expert in child-rearing, but there was a while back when we were still, uh, you and I were both working at House of Works in an editorial capacity for the articles that were going on the website, and I was co-editing Um, a bunch of articles that were about parenting styles. And Mm -hmm. there was one that really stood out to me because this was kind of at the time when a bunch of different parenting styles were commonly being discussed, argued over, et cetera, in the news, like whether being a tiger mom or being an attachment parent or blah, 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 any of those various sort of parenting trends were worthwhile or not. And there was one particular... um, piece of research that had come up in an article I was co-editing where their summation was kind of like really as long as the parent loves the kid that's kind of the determinant of success Um, and so if a child is getting love they're probably going to be okay even though there may be variations and some may respond to different situations better than others but like overall, everybody has some neuroses and, like, the, right. it was kind of like, the best you can hope for is that a kid is loved and cared for. And I was like, oh, that's a very simplified way to put it, but it it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's some uh, complicated social history. Somebody, uh, I was talking about this on, on Twitter and how some of the very horrified articles that I had read that were, you know, written within the last few years and were for, you know, just a general audience... Um, had had taken a a horrified and kind of angry tone about it from the start, and some of them were like, "And no one ever researched how many of these children came out," and uh, like that's not actually true. Um, we talked about some of the research that was done, and I was I was tweeting about that, and somebody asked me, "Like, were these kids okay?" <laughs> like, and I was like, "Yeah, that's it. Really seems like most of them were not harmed, and probably." It was a better situation than they had been in. Um, and it reminds me of the uh, the incubator babies, which we which I mentioned at the top, because people would be horrified today if we were like, we're gonna have these babies and in incubators at a carnival side show. Right. But at the time, that probably saved their lives. So. Here
0: is my greatest disappointment after doing this episode. Oh, okay. No one has started a metal band with the name Mothercraft. <laughs> that's all I could think
1: of the whole time <laughs> that feels like a good place to end the discussion uh, send us notes uh, send us emails like we said in the in the episode um, itself we are planning a QA and a episode um, and that's uh, only going to work out if we get good questions to talk about so um, Podcast at iheartradio.com